Yes, that's uh Anyway, outrageous, isn't it? That's a crazy way to look at Christmas. Imagine if Darth Vader was Santa Claus. Whatever. It's all good. Welcome. Welcome. It is so good to be with you this morning. I hope that you just kind of sense that Christmas spirit in the room as we begin our, our Christmas series. Um, Christmas is outrageous. And so what's so funny, and I honestly, 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 uh, Three months ago, when I started planning the ideas for the Outrageous Sermon series, no, 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 Christmas was not going to be part of it. But as we dove deeper into that series, I began to realize how well that theme actually fits for Christmas. And so, you know what? We are just going with it. Let's start here. How many of you have heard of the Consumer Product Safety Commission? You've heard of that organization before? Yeah. Great stats on Christmas. 14,700 people each year visit the hospital emergency rooms in November, December. Why? Hanging Christmas decorations, of course. I don't know whose idea it was to take trees, living things from the outside, and bring them into your house to kill them and put things on them. Originally, remember, of course, Christmas lights were what? Candles. Just think about that for a moment. This is, this, when we get ideas, we humans, this is, these are the things we come up with. And then we take our lights from the outside and we put them high up in the air. On, on the, on, from the inside, high up in the air on the outside of our house to, to make it all beautiful. And, and don't get me wrong, I love Christmas lights, but it's a really bad idea if you think about it. Um, it it's, 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 it's a crazy thing. I don't know. I've done this a couple times throughout the years, but I thought this year was definitely fitting. If you haven't seen the numbers yet for the 12 days of Christmas, if you haven't seen the new stats on the 12 days of Christmas this year, the cost is now up to $45,523 to purchase those items. That's a 10.5% increase this year, thanks to inflation. Yes, we love that word, inflation, don't we? It is great. Just to give you a couple of the items, I still don't know what a partridge in a pear tree is, but if you bought one, it's $280, all right? So there you go. 600 bucks for two turtle doves, 318 for three French hens, 599 for those four calling birds, five golden rings. Of course, the price of gold has gone up, so $1,200 for that one. Six geese a laying, 720 bucks, seven swans a swimming, 13000 $124 for swans. I guess swans are very expensive. So whatever. If you've got swans at your house, we know something about you. Um, verse 4, the eight maids of milking, cheapest thing on the list, 58 bucks. So I guess they don't make much hourly. I don't know how that works. Uh, the nine ladies dancing, take it to a whole nother level, $8,300 for that one. Ten lords a-leaping. Again, what is a lord a-leaping? I do not know, but it costs you $13,980. That's the most expensive item on our list today. And pipers piping are cheaper than drummers drumming, so just so you know, $3,000 and $3,021 for the pipers piping and $3,200 for the drummers drumming. So, so there you go, there's your update. But you want to know what's really outrageous? Here's what's really outrageous. Every single year, Paul McCartney makes between four dollars and $600,000 in royalties off his stupid Christmas song, simply having a wonderful Christmas time. It's not even a good song. That's outrageous. That's what we've done here in, in America, right? I understand. There are people that don't love the Christmas season. I can get a little bit about where they're coming from. Many people these days will proudly proclaim how much they dislike the Christmas season. They don't like the music. They don't like the gathering. They don't like their families. They don't like the rushed schedule they don't like the shopping, they don't like the spending, they don't like the selfishness, the greed, the commercialism, the consumerism, on and on the list goes of all the things that have overtaken the meaning of the holiday. So I get that. I get that. For many people, the only part of Christmas 
Where Jesus ever appears is the fact that his title, Christ, is actually part of the word. But the reality is most people don't know what the word Christ even means. Messiah, the anointed or chosen one of God. See, if you're a believer, I'm going to ask you a favor. Don't hate on Christmas. It's easy to join in the chorus of Scrooges that complain about what Christmas has become. Can I ask you from the bottom of my heart to resist that temptation? Can I ask you to look at it a little bit differently? Quit focusing on what it has become. Quit focusing on what the world has made it into. And then let's instead focus on how outrageous this event is that we are celebrating So each one of the next three weeks, we're going to take a look at the outrageous elements of Christmas, just three separate ones. Don't forget our definition from outrageous, all the way from the very beginning of this series, is what happened at Christmas, does it absolutely exceed the limits of what is usual? Is what happened at Christmas unconventional? (laughs) Does it go beyond the standards that humanity is used to? Of course. Of course it does. To even consider That the God of creation, the God of the universe, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses, and Joshua, and David, the God of Elijah, and Elisha, and Daniel, and Isaiah, that that same God would take it upon himself to come to this earth in human form to redeem fallen mankind, to restore a relationship that we broke, to pursue us in our sin. And to give us an opportunity to come to him with all of our baggage, with all of our sins, so that he can then forgive us and allow us to spend all of eternity with him in his heaven. That, my friends, is outrageous in every sense of the word. But many people have no knowledge of what Christmas is all about. You know that. We're so long removed from the ideas where where most people were taught most of the basics about Jesus. That's simply not the case. So when we talk about the word incarnation, no one knows what that means. Now, there's a group of you from the late 60s, 70s, and 80s that do know that carnation is an instant breakfast drink, and you're going to love it in an instant. And yes, you can still buy it on store shelves, just so you know. But it has absolutely nothing to do with the incarnation of Jesus Christ. When we talk about the virgin birth, what do you think the average person on the street thinks when they hear those two words? combined together. As we take this very short journey over the next couple weeks, we're specifically going to look at the virgin birth and the incarnation of God in the next two weeks and how important those are to who Jesus really is. These are not optional beliefs. They are truth, absolute truth. We do not get to pick and choose what we do and do not accept as truth. Now, I might or might not have mentioned this before to you, but I do actually happen to love Christmas. I know that puts me at odds with some of you. I get that. But hear me out. Here's the thing. I love the spirit of Christmas. I truly believe there is still a different spirit that exists this time of year. Now, in truth, this spirit is always present. But people seem to be a little more receptive to it this time of year. According to a study done this year, 85% of Americans plan to celebrate Christmas. Just a quick question, what else in America do 85% of us do that is in common? Regardless of our motives for doing it, exactly, none, nothing. We're such a divided country. 
But as you know, the holidays become more and more and more secular. The latest data I could find was from 2019. That was the last survey that I could find. It was from Gallup, and it stated this, that 57% of people, only 57% of people that celebrate Christmas celebrate it as a strongly or somewhat religious holiday. Just a little over half, and probably in the last three years, that number's gone down even further. But you see, things happen this time of year that just don't normally happen. People tend to be more generous. They tend to look past others' differences. They tend to make amends. They tend to have a little bit more positive outlook on life. There's still a hope that surrounds this season, and I truthfully believe that hope is absolutely there because what we're doing is we are celebrating the hope of the world. So whether we know we're doing that or not, there is a sense of hope that is brought into the picture which opens the door for his spirit to move into people's lives. God can and does use this time of year to draw in the most skeptical, hardened, difficult people into his love, his grace, and his mercy. All through the birth of his son, through that virgin named Mary, in a stable in that little village called Bethlehem. We live in a desperately hopeless world. I don't think it's hard to come up with that. You could all look at news stories. As I was preparing this message a few weeks ago, I actually came across one that I thought I would share with you. Our neighbors to the north um, in 2016, so the country just to our north, decided uh, to pass some legislation they called MAID legislation. Now, some of you know what that stands for. MAID stands for Medical Assistance in Dying. It's their euthanasia program. It's an, it's an adaptation of programs that were developed in Europe several years ago and have been adopted for a long time. Now, currently in Canada, those services are only available to those 18 and older. But in 2021, they began a real push to make those available to what they're calling mature minors. So children as young as 12 years old. Did you know that countries in Europe already have those laws on the books? And one such country, Belgium, I'll call them out, um, they've removed all age restrictions completely from such terrible things. The adults in charge of protecting our children, of fighting for children, of saving the lives of children are now deliberating the ability of mature minors, now I'll let you even put those two words in the same sentence, to choose to medically end their life. You see, humanity has lost all respect for the value of life. So when someone asks you the question, what is this world coming to? I can help you with that one. Very simple answer. If you need a pen and paper, grab it. Two words, two words only, an end. An end. What is this world coming to? Now, it sounds hopeless, but it's truly not. As a matter of fact, as we know, it will end when Jesus returns. The world as we know it will end at that moment and we will begin being with him for all eternity. And those called by his name will reign forever with him. So it's definitely not a hopeless reality. Our Christmas then is actually, if you look at it from that perspective, the beginning of the end. Not the day, December 25th, no, 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 but the birth of Jesus marks the fulfillment of the first third of God's complete plan. The first third of this outrageous plan began at creation, and everything that happened from that moment pointed to the coming of Jesus. God's plan, completely outrageous, but it was perfect. 
It was perfect. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a very, very brief survey, and I mean very brief survey, to look at this outrageous plan that God set into motion before the creation of the world. Next week, we'll talk about the outrageous announcement that led to Jesus' ultimate arrival. And then finally, on Christmas Sunday, we're going to talk about that outrageous event where God became flesh as we celebrate, some of us in our pajamas, on that day. One of the things that modern Christians seem to have a very hard time believing is the truth of John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In the beginning was Jesus. He's described here as the word, the logos of God. Jesus was with God in the beginning. So just let your mind wonder, when you read Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 3 and following, when it said, God said, let there be, fill in the blank. When God spoke it, he spoke it through his word. Everything who is the word of God, Jesus the Word made flesh. We'll talk about that incarnation on Christmas morning, how important that is to our faith. But for today, just understand that Jesus has always been with God. Jesus is not a created being. He has always been and will always be. This is a truth that too many Christians refuse to believe, but it's too important for us just to pass over God's plan to send Jesus began before the creation of the world. Peter is the one that explicitly writes that, 1 Peter 1.20. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Jesus helped create the plan to save us before humanity was ever even created. Now, I know it's early. I understand that. It's the weekend, so it might be a little hard to wrap your mind around that, so keep it really simple. This is what you need to know. That's how much your heavenly father loved you. He put a plan in place to save you before you ever even needed saved. And now we must just acknowledge and accept that plan through his son, Jesus. Now, I know I've said it before. I'll say it again. I do love it when a plan comes together. I love the 80s A-team. It's so true. But this isn't just a plan. This isn't an afterthought. This isn't a response of our God to something that we humans messed up. No, no, no. This is what he already knew would be necessary before he ever created us in order to save us. And Jesus willingly accepted his role to come to this earth, to be born as a baby, to live among people, to suffer in the same ways that we do, to be tempted in the same ways that we are, and ultimately to die for you and for me. And then God's plan is laid out through all of the Old Testament. As John literally tells us, Jesus was with God in the beginning. So as God created the heavens and the earth, Jesus was with him. But he wasn't just chilling in the background, doing whatever, waiting for his time to be called. No, no, no. Through him, all things were made. Without Jesus, nothing was made. This just ties together the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, how one they are from the very beginning. And God's plan for redemption through Jesus' sacrifice goes on, and it weaves its way through that Old Testament. We see man from the time of Adam to the time of Noah fall into such depravity that man's every inclination of the thoughts of his heart were evil all of the time. Genesis 6, 5. 
And it was at that time that Noah emerged as an early Christ-like figure. It says he found favor in the eyes of the Lord. The Bible defines him as a righteous man who walked with God. Now, he wasn't perfect in any way like Jesus. He was a sinner, but he was chosen by God as a type of savior for mankind. He was chosen to help keep the human race alive. Through Noah, God used a boat to save a portion of humanity from physical destruction. He was chosen as a part of God's outrageous plan to ultimately bring Jesus to this earth. Now, this is just one of many examples of God's plan of salvation on display in the Old Testament. In those days, it was a physical salvation. Jesus would ultimately use the cross and his resurrection to spiritually save all of us as well. Everyone that's willing to believe in him for eternal life. Now, it took, man, about 1,600 years from the time of perfection in the garden of walking with God to being so filled with evil that a restart was needed through Noah and his family. That old expression that you hear a lot of people use, you know, people are basically good. That really doesn't hold water if you look at history very closely. It seems like when we're given the opportunity to choose good or evil, we typically choose evil. After Noah's day, it only took around 100 or so years for God, for man to once again rebel against the God who just saved them. God intervened again. He scattered man all over the earth, confused their languages. About 250 years after that moment is when we see God calling Abraham out of the land of Ur, his homeland, and we see the next phase of God's plan begin to unfold. Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, he tells Abraham, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse whomever curses you and all of the people of the earth will be blessed through you. And all of the peoples of the earth will be blessed through Abraham. This is the beginning of the physical plan for God to ultimately bring Jesus to this earth. God uses this line of Abraham to reveal his creation, to reveal his laws, to reveal his ways. It's an outrageous plan. And as we learned a few weeks ago, Abraham lived by faith in what God had revealed to him. He never saw this promise fulfilled. God's plan then keeps winding and curving through that area we would now call the Middle East. And because God's plan involves humans, that path is anything but straight. Because we humans love to make things as complicated as we possibly can, case in point with Abraham. What if, I don't say that often, but it's so far-fetched I can say it here. What if Abraham and Sarah had followed God perfectly? And what if they had taken the promise that he made to them? And what if they had waited for Isaac to be born? Would that have changed just a few things on planet Earth if you're familiar with the rest of the story? Just a few conflicts maybe would have been avoided if they had waited on God. What if Isaac's sons, Jacob and Esau, what if they uh, got along? <laughs> what if they worked together? Then Jacob, of course, wouldn't have had to steal the birthright and, birthright and run away so his brother didn't kill him. And then there's Jacob's family. What if Jacob's family had got along well? I mean, his sons got along so well that they sold their brother into slavery. What a great family, right? 
Oh, who would love to have been one of the younger siblings in that? I know some of you wanted to do that to your younger siblings. No, no, stop it. They sold their younger brother Joseph into slavery. Nothing wrong with them at all. Now, in the end, it worked out okay, didn't it? Because God used Joseph to prevent a worldwide famine that would have led to the destruction of the whole line of Abraham. In all things, you see, God works for the good of those who love him. Please don't ever quote that passage without the last part. It's too important. Joseph, yet another Old Testament Christ-like figure, as he saves much of the known world from starvation through his dependence on and faithfulness in his God. That plan continues to unfold as Jacob's family stays in Egypt. The Pharaoh forgets about Joseph. The Hebrews become slaves to the Egyptians. And then God intervenes once again, this time through Moses, the latest redeemer of his people, Yet another Christ-like figure in the Old Testament coming to save his people from the, at the request of and through the power of his God. Moses leads the people. This is how it went, right? Moses leads the people out, all the people that get along great. They follow Moses' every word. They obey God's law, and they enter the promised land right on schedule, right? Now, I'm sure that's how God actually did lay it out. That's what he, his preferred, his will, if you will, was for them to do this. But we have free will, and we chose our own path. We like to make things a little more complicated, don't we? And so the Hebrews, what did they do? Well, they rebelled against Moses. They rebelled against God. They make the golden calf. They worship. And eventually, they're unwilling to even go in and take the land that God has already promised them. That, of course, is the point where God says, all right, fine, you wander in circles for 40 years in the desert. I had to plan a path, a plan, it was right there, you chose otherwise. But here's the thing, through all of that, God's plan would not be stopped. Now, they continued to try, don't get me wrong, they, they weren't giving up so easily. They continued to abandon God, they abandoned God for earthly kings, most of whom led them away from God, but God never abandoned them. You see, his plan, his outrageous plan, would not be stopped. The Israelites were overthrown. They were taken into exile again, brought back home and invaded, occupied, and then even worse, until the time was right. When the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5. The timing of this moment begins to be revealed all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. In verse 15, after Adam and Eve had sinned, God's plan kicks in, and he made that famous announcement, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head, you will strike his heel. And it's at that moment that the countdown began, the plan that had been officially initiated. There would be one who would come to crush Satan. And throughout that Old Testament, God revealed more and more and more of his plans through those prophets, that the Messiah would come at just the right moment in human history, that God's plan is for all nations of the world to be blessed through Abraham's offspring, that Jesus would come through the line of Jacob, Jacob, Numbers chapter 24, from the line of Jesse, Isaiah chapter 11, from the line of David, Jeremiah 23. God told them that Jesus would be born in a town called Bethlehem, 
Micah chapter 5, and that his birth would be an absolute miracle. Jesus would be impossibly born of a virgin, Isaiah 7.14. God's plan to bring the Messiah, the Savior, the Redeemer, the Son of Man was outrageous. So much so that people had a very hard time believing that it was even possible. People never thought it would actually happen. And when his plan was fully realized, most people didn't even recognize it. Even though he'd prepared the way, even though he'd given them all the signs to look for, when he actually showed up, they either missed it or dismissed it. Here's what's really interesting. The masses might have missed Jesus' first coming, but no one. And I seriously mean no one will be able to overlook his second. And he is coming. This outrageous plan is still unfolding before our very eyes. People ask all the time, is Jesus coming again soon? And the answer is yes. Yes, he is. How soon? Great question. Can't answer that. No human can. But we can all tell them that we know for a fact it's 2,000 years sooner than what it was when he left. Church members, followers of Jesus, don't wish away the moment. We all long for Christ's second coming, absolutely. But don't wish away this moment because there are still too many around who must be reached. Do we share the heart of our Heavenly Father? Do we want no one to perish? but all to have eternal life? If so, what are we doing right now to help God fulfill His desire? See, Christmas is a great time of year to share the good news. The whole holiday exists to celebrate Jesus' coming. So who will you share that gift with this year? And don't assume they already know. Too many people just don't. One last point, God's outrageous plan. There's something really incredible about this outrageous plan. Yeah, we just spent a tiny little bit going through it. We, we, we couldn't, it would take a very long time to go through that history together. But here's what's awesome. God's plan, the one that we just did spend some time going through, you are actually at the center of it. When this plan of salvation through Jesus came into being before the creation of the world, God had you in mind. Make it personal. It might seem very hard to believe, especially if you're just maybe for the first time hearing about this Jesus and this plan for him to come to this earth. Maybe you don't know Jesus yet. Maybe you don't have a relationship with him at all yet. So I want you to know that this outrageous plan was devised, was created to save you. And now it's your choice. Do you want to be a part of this plan do you want the forgiveness, the grace, the mercy of a loving Heavenly Father? Will you accept the sacrifice that was made for you so that you could spend eternity forever with Him? Because that is the heart of Christmas. It's why He came. Father God, as we consider your plan for us in these times, we live in a world where there seems to be no plan. Uh, the world is a mess. Nobody knows what's going on. Nobody can stop it. 
Nobody seems to be able to make it any better. It's just spiraling out of control as far as we can see. But Father, you have a plan. And it began so very long ago. You had a plan for each one of us. Regardless of what we've been through in life, decisions we've made, choices we've made, things we've done to stray away. Father, you created a plan to save each and every one of us individually. Sometimes we look at that plan and we see this big cosmic plan and it's so big and it's so huge and it's so grand and we fail to find our place in it. Father, may Christmas be a great time of year to remember that our place was right there from the beginning. That this outrageous plan to send your son to this earth was put into place to save me. To save my kids. To save my friends. To save my coworkers. To save my neighbor. To save my enemy. Father, may this holiday season we take a moment to share that good news with those around us that are struggling. And there are so many. So many people around us are dealing with so many things. Some right here in this very room. If today they're struggling, I pray that they come forward and they allow us to pray over them. We don't even need to know what's going on. You do. But just the peace and the comfort that comes when someone calls upon your spirit, calls your spirit upon these people to lift them up, to encourage them. Father, it is incredible. And so many of us have never experienced others praying for us. I pray that they're willing today to do that. Father, for the people that we know that are struggling, give us the opportunity this week to break the ice for you. We're praying for their heart, their mind, their spirit to be open to receiving yours this Christmas season. And will you use us to bring them the love and the encouragement and the truth that they need. Father, we love you and we thank you for this incredibly outrageous plan.